Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, we're talking to Stephanie Gonzalez about how she created Millionaire Wealth and accomplished financial freedom and independence all before the age of 38. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnay. Stephanie Gonzalez is the founder of the Women's Wealth Effect, a personal finance brand where it's her firm belief that more money in the hands of women leaves a lasting legacy on their personal lives and their communities. As a global leader, speaker, wealth career coach, and now podcast host, her love runs deep for her familia of four who relocated in 2022 from Singapore to Portugal. She's also transparent about her experience as a Latina in corporate America and how she 9X'd her salary in 15 years, paid off $420,000 in debt, became a millionaire at 37, and achieved partial financial freedom and independence by age 38. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Aquania. Thank you so much for having me. I am. I'm. I'm doing. I'm doing really awesome. You know, the holidays are almost here, and the end of year is upon us, and we're still getting things done. So all good on our side. Absolutely, and I'm excited too because you and I were first introduced to each other at FinCon, which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite conferences where <laughs> money nerds meet. So shout out to FinCon, who absolutely I, I swear FinCon has introduced me to some of my favorite besties in, over <laughs> the last couple of years. I attended my first FinCon conference in 2018. But you particularly sparked my interest because you continue to be involved in the WOC podcasters group. And you are really vocal and transparent about your ability to relocate to mm. Portugal with your family and to accomplish what some would call semi-fire. You are semi-retired mm-hmm. and able to financially afford to work less and enjoy life more. So today we're going to talk more about how you made that happen for yourself and how you're helping other women do the same. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about your money story. You know, how was money for you when mm-hmm. you were growing up? Yeah, you know, I would say I came from a very hardworking household. My dad actually started working at his first job at the age of 16 and to this day still works at the same company. So you can imagine seeing somebody who had that level of longevity at one company or slash job and, you know, pour his entire life into that. That definitely left an impression on me. Um, My mother is constantly educated and you had an opportunity to see her at FinCon of all things. She traveled across the US to just spend some time with her daughter and I was very fortunate to get her a ticket um, to come. And now you know she's starting her own podcast. She's an LMFT. She has her PhD. And so this education and hard work kind of combination was what I saw in front of me my entire life. And this concept of women being able to do anything they set their minds to is what I was always told. I think with that, and I I share this in my mini course, it was very much hard work, long hours, you know, was what I always saw. My dad was always going to work on Saturdays. He was taking calls all the time. My mom was working the night shift as the nurse. So when I entered the workforce, that's what I thought. I thought it was 
you know, pour everything that you had into your job. And while I think that serves you in a great way at certain parts of your life, towards the end of my now 15 career in tech, that my my life was shifting and the priorities that I had were shifting as a wife, as a mom, as someone who was really wanting to also figure out who she was, right? In her now late 30s and having achieved, you know, the level of quote unquote success that, you know, I felt I had. And money for me was a paycheck. It was a job and it was working in that job until 65, right? Um, But once I really came to find out about the concept of fire and I really took a look at what my now job was affording us to be able to do, especially as expats in Singapore with all the benefits that we had, we were really able to accelerate our progress towards financial independence by being purposeful. And for us, um, you know, my husband came from, you know, a very humble beginning. He's adopted. He is now an entrepreneur, has been an entrepreneur for the last seven years and has amassed, you know, significant success, has made his full million, right, in that job. And we thought to ourselves, well, wow, we really want a different life for our kids. So how about we really get honest with ourselves about our past with money, the way we came you know, up with money, learn from that, learn from that experience and figure out how we want to shape a lifestyle differently for our young boys, right? And living internationally was a big part of that. Um, and so I, I say that because... I think for a lot of us, especially those of us, people of color, growing up in families who are very hardworking, are very, very excited about diving into education because that's a real gateway to progress. Those are all great things. I think also looking at financial literacy and understanding what that looks like as a tool to really catapult our progress towards creating generational generational wealth, progress in our communities, um, sustainability in the way that we want to see um, public service efforts, you know, come across for kids, for older generations, et cetera. There's just so much to be done. And for different communities, that looks different. Um, and so I really hope to instill a global mindset in my boys because the U.S. is one part of the world. There's so much to be seen. And I want them also to grow up understanding that, yes, a job is something in your life, but it's not the end all defining thing in your life. Um, And so that's where we are. Absolutely. I love that. That's such a perspective. A lot of our parents' generation are Mm -hmm. focused on getting that good job and retiring from that job because previous companies used to give pensions and really good benefits. So you had an incentive to hang on, to remain loyal and to stick around. But you chose a career path that is predominantly known to pay well. And when you use your money wisely, really allow you to leverage that to create wealth sooner and earlier. And in your case, in your 30s. But I'm curious because Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to be an expatriate. And I know that living in uh, places like Singapore, which it can be very expensive, can also eat away at that wealth. So how did you as a family make very tough decisions on what you were going to spend on in Mm -hmm. such a high, you know, expensive place to live and what you were going to save? Yeah, I think there's a really important thing to bring up in this part of the conversation. And it's, there are roles that companies have 
that are these cov- and I'll call them coveted roles because not they're not ample and they're not everywhere, but they are very much possible. And they're these expatriate roles that have significant benefits tied to them. So I'll give you some examples of my experience and, and the opportunity that I was granted in my supply chain job. My housing was paid for. So our 7300 sing dollar per month condo was fully paid for. We were able to continue renting our home back in Texas. And we paid off that home when we became debt-free. So all of that passive income was fueling our investments. Our health care was very, very good. And so I had both of my sons in Singapore fully paid for. I took advantage of my maternity leave and took five to six months off after both of them were born. I think I'm probably the only female expat that has done that actively, done it twice in, you know, in that kind of expat stint. There are cost of goods and transportation allowances that we received. And so we looked at that entire picture and the relocation costs that were afforded to us. I negotiated a bit more on top of that because we had a dog and we were you know, selling some cars back at home that we were going to lose some money on. And so we, we wanted to really try to position ourselves in a way that we could take advantage of this great opportunity in front of us, right? Because yes, Singapore is expensive. And so one of the things for me was... I, if I was going to get asked to move, I was requesting to move in an expatriate package and not a local quote unquote package, which there's a lot of details that go into that depending on you know what your companies offer. Singapore being expensive and us being in Singapore during COVID was kind of a blessing in disguise because while we could have yellowed and traveled all across Southeast Asia while we were in Singapore, which we wish we would have been able to do that. We just weren't able to because Singapore was relatively locked down during COVID. We saved all the money we we probably would have used traveling across that part of the world and said, okay, let's get really purposeful about what we want to do with this um, disposable income. And so in 2020, Joseph and I, my husband, Red quit like a millionaire together. And I talk about this, Joe was seating me fire for years, right? But I wasn't listening and I was busy and I was working. And um, we finally sat down and said, let's read a book together. And so we did that. And that book was great because it was funny and it was witty and it was written you know, from a couple's but really female voice perspective. And I was like, wow, let me go get my spreadsheets out. Let me go figure out where we are financially and let me project our financial progress into the next five to 10 years. And what does this look like for us? And so when we did that, we got real clear with goals and we said, okay, in 2021, we want to invest $200,000 because we looked at my husband's income and my income and the bonuses and the equity and all these things that were you know coming at us in terms of our benefits. And we said, okay, 200,000 for 2021. And we ended up investing 350,000 because we said, all right, we really got clear, right, about the goals and we got clear about our priorities and we got clear about what we valued in terms of our spending. And what, so now that we had this strategy and vision in front of us, it was like, well, what can we save and invest more if we looked at our lives differently, right? We would buy things secondhand for our kids whenever, you know, we were buying the rocker when my son was born or we would take hand-me-downs because we could and they were great instead of going off and buying, you know, a onesie for $50 in Singapore, right? And so. I think it was just those choices that we were making for our future selves and being very clearly aligned about them as a couple um, that were really allowing us to just peel back the onion and go, hey, I might be making $275,000 a year, but why why am I going to spend all of that, 
right? I should really be, you know, living off of what we really need to live off of and investing the rest. Um, Because lo and behold, it's going to get you somewhere as long as you give it some time and some compound interest in the market. Absolutely. And I want to unpack that a bit because I don't want anyone listening to feel like they can't do this too, just because they don't live abroad or they don't have a company paying for living expenses. So let me just be clear. I have also lived overseas uh, Mm -hmm. once in Haiti, Italy, and then with my family in Dubai. So I know all about that expat life where a company is covering your expenses. So if there's anyone Mm -hmm. listening who's interested in living and working abroad, definitely look at countries where the company will cover your housing, insurance, Mm -hmm. and other high ticket cost of living expenses. I too have had a son abroad, so I will agree with you that it really helps when you have really good medical care. And in my case, we had a preemie overseas. So that's not only scary, it's also very costly. But my husband's job at the time covered 100%, 100% of the preemie expenses, the doctor bills. And, you know, my son was in the hospital for five months. So I'm just going to let you kind of think about how much that costs and then think about the joy we had when 100% of that was covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think you did make a good point. Whether you're abroad and you're working or you're home and you are trying to find your path to financial freedom, prioritization matters. And I love what you said about how you and your husband got on the same page and decided to put your future first right? So making those tough decisions about, you know, are we going to buy this expensive newborn onesie or are we going to buy what we really actually need, which is Mm -hmm. clothes for our kids, right? Um, And then also choosing to take that extra income and invest it. That is powerful because so many people don't even think to do that. Some people will take that extra money and store it in a bank account and look at it. And That's I'm what like, I used to do. I totally used to do that. Yeah, don't do that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Or what about what you said about renting out your U.S. property while you're gone and then mm-hmm. paying off that property when you had an opportunity? So I also, we have a condo in Maryland while we were in Dubai, a tenant paid the mortgage and we pocketed the same amount that we would have paid toward the mortgage. So we invested yeah. the difference, but treated ourselves like we were still paying the mortgage. Yes. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. It's almost so, like you double double made your money. Exactly. Because we mm-hmm. had the tenant paying down the mortgage and we had what we would have paid still being put aside in investments. So that's where we found the extra money. So renting out your primary residence when you're not living in it is a mm-hmm. great way to make some extra income that can go towards investing. But I just think that you also made a good point about when you're in that high income earning space, right? Mm -hmm. Which a lot of my listeners are high income earners. They just don't know what to do with their money. You basically said, invest it. Use what you need to live and invest the rest. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple, but... Yeah, and I think there's another thing to that too. You know, start where you can gain some knowledge and understand what you're investing in, right? We're thinking about, and I know in the crypto space, it's all all over the place right now, but we are keeping ourselves informed and understanding what 
Bitcoin and at least Ethereum means and what the blockchain means and what that future technology is going to look like, right? And for my clients, I'm constantly trying to instill in them this constant sense of wanting to learn more because as technology and as the world continues to evolve with innovation, investing is going to look different. Assets are going to look different. And all those things are going to come at us faster than at a faster pace than they ever have, right? And so while we're investing in index funds and ETFs and diversified elements that will allow us to create um, passive income over time, we're also looking at dividends right now. We are going to look at some other things over time as well, because we at least want to make sure that we're constantly keeping our ear to the ground and understanding well, what is the next 2.0 or 3.0 in our investing journey? And the cool thing about it is once you start to create space in your mind to bring these things into your life, you want to learn more because it's exciting and you see the potential for it, right? Um, and so while we're in this phase of our lives today, we're really excited about what we're going to kind of continue to learn in the future. Did I ever tell you about that time I was 16 and my dad gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki? I read that book and I was completely inspired to start investing. And I started out with putting my first paycheck from a retail job into a Roth individual retirement account. And now the rest is history. I've been investing ever since. And now I invest in real estate. In my latest course, The Purpose of Money Maximizer, I'll teach you how to leverage the power of life insurance to invest in real estate and how you can use life insurance to leave a guaranteed legacy, create the wealth you've always wanted, to pay for college, supplement your retirement, and so much more. I'm sharing so many gems about how to leverage life insurance that you definitely want to get in this course so you can learn them too. If you're interested, check out thepurposeofmoneymaximizer.com. That's www.thepurposeofmoneymaximizer.com. I can't wait to see you inside and I hope you use all these gems. Absolutely. I feel like you should always be learning and keeping your mind open. And I want you guys to understand, she didn't say go put all your money in crypto. She said... No. <laughs> learn, listen, and be aware of what's happening and what's going on and when the time is right and you're prepared financially to do so, then you can dive into cryptocurrency, other investments, diversification. But you and I invest pretty similarly. I also invest in EFTs and index funds, which are basically an opportunity to invest in multiple companies at the same time. So you Mm -hmm. can also be in multiple industries, but you're not putting all your eggs into one basket, Mm -hmm. i.e. purchasing one stock, one company. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that's a great way for those who are beginning to start because day trading or picking individual stocks, when you don't do all the research, can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It can also be costly when they're not effective. So it's a great way to make sure that you are covering your risk by investing in multiple spaces. But I do want to ask you a fun question. Since you are married, Mm -hmm. you have a partner who is Mm -hmm. investing with you and on this journey with you, Is there anything that your husband was absolutely against doing and you may have had to convince him? Oh, man. I I don't think so. Um, I mean, if anything, there have been some purchases that we've discussed and we're like, 
let's let's just really get to the numbers so that we can decide. I think the thing for us is how do we take some of the emotion out of some of our decisions, right? So I'll give you a recent example that we're literally living today. We are now debt-free, but we're in the mode of going, okay, we're going to take on some debt to purchase what we want to purchase that's, you know, let's call smart debt or debt that's leveraged i.e. our next home purchase here in Portugal. But we're also having to purchase a car. We haven't had a car for the last five years. And so we're going through this whole motion of, all right, what do we want to purchase? What makes What's the right financial decision? Oh, this car is nice, but should we purchase this one or should we purchase the financially sound one? And for us, getting to the numbers is the thing that helps us take the emotion out of the equation. And so... I think, you know, my husband's the visionary and the dreamer. And while I have my own dreams and, you know, I have a cer- certain elements of that as well, I am the operations person person and the executor. And so in, in most cases, I come to the table with the data, or at least he understands that I'm going to come to the table with the data so that we can really get to brass tacks about what we need to decide. Um And in some cases, I have to bring the data to the table because I'm emotionally invested in the decision and I need to kind of calm my own self down. But um you know, whether it's thinking about buying a Tesla because it's an electric vehicle or not, right? Um, those are the things that I think we have, we've learned how to effectively communicate together on. Um, and it's taken some time. Absolutely. My husband and I have been married for almost 15 years, 14 this year, yeah. 15 next year. Yes. And we still value communication in all of what we do. And I will say we're each other's checks and balance, right? Like Mm -hmm. I can have a great idea and even the money to do it. And my husband will be the person who says, okay, but do we really need to do it? You know? And when you get to a certain point in your financial journey, you are making those types of decisions because you have the money, but it doesn't mean you need to spend it on that particular thing at that particular time. And then there are other things where we've kind of said, look, I need certain experiences to have joy. So no matter what it's going to entail, I'm willing to find the money, make the money to make it Mm -hmm. happen, but I need your support in making it happen, right? So Mm -hmm. I'll never like go do a worldwide tour for a gazillion dollars without my husband being supportive of it. But if that's a goal of mine, he'll support me in saving for it. Um, And I think that's key too, especially when relationships, money can be a key factor that leads to divorce or arguments, right? So Mm -hmm. I think you made a lot of great points as, you know, as a married person who has a partner who's who's on the same page with you, also Mm -hmm. making sure that you're continuing to communicate, which keeps you on the same page. I think that's really important. Um, so I have a question. I asked a lot of married couples this. Um, are you on team joint bank account or team? Oh, this is a great, (laughs) this is a great question because I literally wrote this lengthy two part email to my mailing list a couple of weeks about this. So when we were in Singapore, because I was on my employment pass, my husband was my dependent. And so he couldn't do things like open a bank account on his own or get our electricity and all that stuff in his name. It had to be under mine. And for whatever reason, we never got him on my Singapore bank account because he had means of getting, you know, to money and all that good stuff. And we've never, we had never held a joint bank account or any joint accounts throughout our entire relationship. 
So we've now been together 11 years, seven years married. And about two weeks ago, we really needed to get him on our Portuguese bank account for reasons like taking money out of ATMs here is expensive if you don't have a local account, et cetera. And we walked out of the bank going, wow, this is our first bank account together. Literally, this is our first bank account together. And the way that we've done it is we understood what all of our bills were. I mean, Joseph moved in with me when we first started dating really at the end of the day. So we immediately understood like what our rent was, what was being paid. And we equally contributed to those things as a couple, but not through bank accounts, right? And that's the that's what worked for us throughout our entire relationship. Um, and as we've now become more active investors as a couple, I manage the money with him as a beneficiary on the account, et cetera. So, you know, you can go check that that post out and see, you know, some of the responses to that. But I did have a couple of people reach out to me that are here in Portugal and go, yeah, I finally got my husband or my wife on the account because we're now expatriates and we need, you know, to have this one joint account. Um, so we're we're team do what works for you, really, at the end of the day. I can see benefits to both. I think it's really understanding what your situation is and how your goals align. At the end of the day, if you can't talk about money, but you can you know, have other relationship, relations with each other, you probably really need to reevaluate your situation, really, at the end of the day. Um, but yeah. Not not joint has worked out for us this past 11 years. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. And I like your answer, you know, team, what works for you. And I think that ultimately becomes the best solution in any relationship yeah. when the money's involved. But I'm always curious to see what people say. Yeah. My husband and I, we're on team joint bank account, mm-hmm. but we are well aware of what everyone is doing. And we do have our accounts that we established prior to marriage where we were the only person on it yeah. and the other person is is the beneficiary. So we still have our solo bank accounts that are present. And whenever, you know, the other person wants to know about them, they have full access to do so. It's not like we're hiding any money, but we primarily utilize our joint bank account to pay Mm -hmm. family bills, to take care of family expenses. And there is full visibility on that account. Um, But we just felt like, hey, these accounts are there. It's really no need to close them as long as, you know, we're doing the right Mm -hmm. thing with our money. So our checking, uh, you know, account that we share is where our income is deposited. But I totally understand why you may have gone so long with that one because you didn't need it and you had that visibility and you had that communication. So Mm -hmm. I think that's key. So I'm not telling anybody to keep some hidden bank accounts or hidden money, (laughs) um, but I am saying to communicate with your partner and do what works for you. And if that means joint bank account, go for it. So you do have a company, you do help people with their money. What are your top three tips for new clients who might come to you and say, I want to accomplish FIRE in the next five to 10 years. How can you help me do it? Yeah, you know, there's, I like to go through my client's money inventory with them first. I think whenever you really sit down and look at where does all your money come from? Where does all of it go? Where is it housed? What investment accounts have you been investing in for you know so long? For, for example, I have clients that come to me that'll say, I've been investing in my 401k for the last five to 10 years and I need to understand what it's actually invested in. Or oops, it's actually not invested in something. It's just been 
contributed to the account, right? Those types of things. And so I think getting really clear with your money inventory all the way from your credit score to what your total net worth is and just even understanding those things is really important step one because if you can't have that conversation and understand I call the ABCs of money inventory, your assess your income, be aware of your spending and then allocate, create the gap, create create allocation for the gap. Then you don't know what you could invest or what you need to save or where your emergency, uh, you know, savings account needs to be replenished, et cetera. Right. So inventory first. Then the second thing is, do you have an emergency fund? If COVID taught us anything, right? It's that, your job is not promised to you. The world is, can change overnight. And we are more globally connected than we ever have thought we were, right? And so if you, do, if you don't have at least one month of living expenses saved up, that is day one, the thing that we're trying to strive to do. Um, and so one month of living expenses, depending on your, you know, your marital situation, do you have kids? Do you have a quote unquote stable job, which we Tend to, tend to say is salaried versus contract job. I have a matrix of what I go through with my clients to say, how much should you ideally have saved in your emergency fund? And it's a range between three to six months after that initial one month. And then after that, we're going, okay, what does your debt look like? And is your debt really eating away at what your potential could be for your saving and investing strategy? And do we need to put in a plan to address that debt, high interest debt, something over 7% or more? I think those are the get to the basics things first, your inventory, your emergency fund and understanding your debt situation to say, okay, now that I understand that and I have this breathing room and I understand my money, at least in terms of operationally where it sits, now we can start saying, let's invest in a smart way. And we can invest while we're paying down debt. I don't advocate that you need to be 100% debt free to then start investing because time is your best friend when it comes to investing for independence or investing for retirement, even at 65. But understanding the details so that you can move forward with clarity, control, and confidence is incredibly important when it comes to setting someone up for success in their investing journey. Absolutely. That was so good. So check out the ABCs. Make sure you know where your money is and where it's going. And then you can make a plan on how to start investing. And I completely agree with you that people cannot afford to wait until they're debt-free to start investing. Because mm -hmm. for some people, especially in our state where we have six figures in student loans, it might yeah. be quite some time before you are completely debt-free, but it doesn't mean that you should waste that time and not invest. So I think you can pay down debt, invest, and save at the same time. Mm -hmm. This has been awesome. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for your experiences, words of wisdom, and advice. Mm -hmm. It's been a really great conversation, but I have to ask you one last question. Sure. The name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money. So I mm. ask all my guests this question. What is your purpose for money? Ooh. Uh, my purpose for money is to afford me the life that I was intended to live on this earth. Whether that's being a mom and being able to provide experiences for my children, a wife and create memories with my husband, um, a daughter to create, you know, memories with my mom and dad and show them my appreciation and gratitude for everything that they gave me and gotten me to this point. Um, 
I think that there's life to live on this earth. Now, it doesn't have to be run by money, but it certainly can be utilized as a tool to create uh, a life that can have some level of ease and peace and comfort, right? And so I see that as its initial starting point, and of course, creating some level of generational wealth for our kids going forward. You know, I was talking to my mom about this yesterday, and she was saying, I worry about the world that we're leaving for my grandkids, right? Whether it's, you know, climate change, et cetera. But, you know, all that being said, if there's anything that I can leave for them, it's, you know, memories, experiences, and some level of stability as they go off to make decisions as adults themselves. So, Absolutely. That's beautiful. Before we go, please let my listeners know, where can we find you? Drop your website and all your social media handles. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Women's Wealth Effect. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Stephanie Gonzalez, Stephanie with an S and Gonzalez that ends with an S. I also can, you can find me or understand, you know, what I offer in terms of my content with my free mini course, Kickstart Your Relationship with Money. It's 30 minutes, six topics, a little bit amount of your time just to get those things we talked about, right? Your money inventory and those basics down pat. And in January, 2023, I'm launching my masterclass. So awesome. All right. So we might have to bring you back to talk about how that experience is going and what the masterclass involves. But until then, everyone, thanks for listening and keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep creating freedom in your life today.